Hi, everyone. I'm Chuck Saren, VP of Industry Marketing for MedTech and Life Sciences at Propel, and welcome to the Product Success Podcast, Quality and Medical Devices. I'm joined by Rachel Jang, a Senior Solution Consultant here at Propel. This podcast brings together thought leaders from the health and life sciences industry talking about compliance, quality, and product success in the medical devices. Before we dive in, you can find all episodes of this podcast under the resources tab at propelplm.com. Hello, everyone. This is Chuck. And today, Rachel and I are talking with Vincent Wong. Vincent is the Chief Quality Officer or CQO at Tom's Corporation. And Tom's, you know, leading top tier manufacturer of implantable medical devices. Um, I know Vincent's worked with uh, MedDevice for many years, um, being at Surtech for about eight years, doing a lot of acquisitions, a lot of contract design and manufacturing at Covidian, doing post market surveillance. But maybe, Vincent, you could uh, tell us a little bit more about your background and, and an overview of Tom's it would be great. Sure. Uh, thanks, Chuck. Like you said, uh, my entire career has been in med device. Uh, most of it has been in contract manufacturing. I uh, started off a brief stint at uh, Covidian, now Medtronic, doing post-market surveillance uh, in their surgical solutions group. Um, since then, I've kind of jumped around a little bit in the, in the med device uh, industry between surgical, um, some of the more class one, class two adhesive type technology, uh, diagnostic technology, uh, did a larger stint at Surtec, like you had mentioned, um, doing active implantables. So that was uh, in, in implantable IPGs ne- focused on neuromodulation. And now at Tom's, uh, really just diving into spine. Um, Tom's Corporation is a medical device contract manufacturer as well, uh, with primarily a primary focus in spine, um, whether it's uh, spine uh, screw systems, cages, instrumentation, rods, um, pretty much any key player or a key industry player in the market in spine is uh, somehow partnered with Tom's. Um, and, and we're providing those contract services engineering through manufacturing. And that's really plays well with, with uh, essentially where my, my career has been. Um, having done you know, the rather large spectrum of concepts through commercialization, call it a, a napkin sketch through actual mm-hmm. sustained manufacturing product. Um, have worked with the engineering services, inspection controls, and quality system deployment uh, to, to navigate all of that with uh, you know, ISO 1345, the FDA regulations, and respective uh, you know, OUS markets. So uh, all, all coming to a head and bring a lot of, uh, that, of that prior knowledge to Tom's Corporation to see where we can help this organization continue to grow and expand uh, off its, uh, you know, its existing success. Wow. Yeah. It's a wide array of services you guys offer manufacturing, design. I saw you guys are making over a couple million pieces annually of yes. these devices. It's a, it's a really interesting products you guys are making in orthopedics. And like you said, specifically spine. And I think, you know, the fact that you're working with a lot of these, uh, you know, world's leading medical device OEMs, I think that's, uh, that's amazing to think that, you know, how do you begin talking? Like, how, how do you start to forge that partnership or that business value with these OEMs to get them to, you know, start to begin to work with Tom's and, and go beyond just buying parts, but actually doing a lot of things you mentioned earlier about, you know, concept commercialization or, or the design services or the things that you're offering to these OEMs. 
Yeah, I think that's that's primarily it. It's not just product, it's, it's business need, it's business strategy. And it really starts with wrap, wrapping your head around, our CMO wrapping their head around the fact that OEMs are looking for an extension of their business. Um, that's mm -hmm. where a lot of the industry has been going, where it used to be a lot of insourcing and a lot of staffing of their own engineering uh, resources, as well as operational staffing to uh, manufacture support and continuous improve products. Um, Again, as, as the world goes around, there's a level of cost associated with that. And where a lot of CMOs are finding success is being able to specialize and have the expertise in, in the different elements of the supply chain. So when a CMO is looking at how they can essentially um, advertise or partner with uh, an existing OEM, it's, it's coming down to manufacturing capabilities, scalability of what they have in-house, um, their existing production and process controls. Do they have the right manufacturing techniques, the automation, the risk management built into their uh, manufacturing processes and inspection methods to de-risk product and produce high quality product? And then you start getting into the other elements where OEMs are checking the boxes off of, okay, we've got production controls. How does their quality management system integrate with ours? Is it robust? And what is their history in QMS deployment across multi-sites, across their, their single site, and will it will it integrate with ours in a fashion that allow us to, uh, you know, have robust regulatory submission strategies, and that that just comes with the continuous improvement of manufacturing lines, and you really branch off into several elements from there. You have your built-in quality processes around root cause analysis, corrective action. How is that feeding into your existing cost structure? How is that feeding back to engineering so that there's lessons learned? And then ultimately as an umbrella across the top, do they have that, that stable leadership the, the, all the way from executive down to middle management and on the floor that's un, that understands the environment, that understands the partnership that needs to be there and is willing to invest in the right type of uh, technology and people and, and processes to uh, continue to be a, a strong partner for them. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, you talk about the advantages um, and some of the trends you're seeing with that. So, you know, yeah. de-risking, helping these OEMs to de-risk or the specialization that you guys have in these these processes and, and the design to, to go to you to do it as opposed to taking it on when, you know, they have a whole myriad of product line, right, or, or right. other things to focus on. Um, you know, leverage your, your scalability, your quality that you guys can produce. Those are all, all really good points that you're making. Um, you started to dive into a little bit on the how, like, you know, we started talking about, well, how does this handoff? And I think you, you started to touch on that is, you know, you talked about the why, like, why are these OEMs working with you guys and, and the value that you guys bring uniquely? Um, and I, I wanted to dive a little bit more into kind of like, how, how does this handoff work? You know, the OEMs, you know, have these, these designs, um, you know, in some cases, they'll look for some design help from you, of course, but then they want to transfer that design, they want to move to where you guys can do production readiness, you guys can, you know, sort of take on that DMR and, and start to build it out, maintain it. Um, and then eventually, you know, support and improve that product, but maybe just talk a little bit about the handoff of, of how you begin to work with these OEMs that maybe a little bit more of a 
um, a design transfer sort of perspective. It, that sounds good. Sure. I mean, it, it starts with the, the design package and understanding, again, with OEMs, large and small, they may be at different stages of the product life cycle. So truly getting some line of sight of what expectation or what scope they want the CMO to take on. Mm -hmm. um, I can, I'll speak on behalf of CMOs. I imagine most would say that they would prefer to be at, at some level of the design phase um, because there's, we, there's, there's incredibly intelligent designers out there and, and really trying to innovate technology where we have to find that balance is between design and manufacturability. And that's where CMOs are going to, you're going to, are going to bring their expertise. They most would prefer to, you know, work on the design and start building that manufacturability into a design that's, you know, kind of still open. That design freeze isn't fully set yet. Mm -hmm. So from there, you start scoping it to be, at that point, you, you look at your manufacturing processes, if there's still some fluidity there, that's when you start bringing in other elements, even outside of just the immediate product itself. It's looking at the cost management, the cost structure, the potential manufacturing objectives that align with their volume targets in the future. You, you should actually be having those conversations at that design level between the CMO and the OEM. And it's really during that handoff, you actually are still talking about how you build in that product conformity into the process and into the design. Once you're getting to the design transfer, uh, it sounds a little crude, but it's almost too late. You, you want to make sure you're building that into the product ahead of time. So your mm -hmm. DMR that's ready for production hits the cost targets, hits the, the manufacturing objectives, it hits the, uh, the scrap targets that ultimately tie back to pricing. It also looks at your um, CMO staffing structure as well. You're, you're really looking at how that process is it going to satisfy not just one, but two, three, four year volumes? And any, most, you know, most organizations can, can make those 10 prototypes, but then how do you turn that into ultimately what the customer's expectation is, is what's really critical before you do that design transfer. And then you start getting into, you know, draw that line in the sand, you flip that over into production, there's always got, there's that acknowledgement that there's continuous improvement afterwards. There has to be that support structure that the CMO is also providing. Yeah, yeah, very good points. So, uh, that resonates about getting earlier into yeah. before design free. So get involved with them on the uh, on the design. You know, get involved mm -hmm. with the the processes. Make sure you're designed for manufacturing. And I think that collaboration is a really big word. I know it's a big word in our space too, is that how do you get these two to collaborate between OEM and, and contract manufacturer so that and suppliers, right? So that you mm -hmm. can do that. Um, even collaboration to authorize reps from a regulatory side or, um, you know, that collaboration really extends out. So it's important to be on a, um, on a system or systems that can actually um, forge or, or allow that collaboration to happen. And that's probably a topic for another day too. Right. Um, but I, I, I definitely see, see that as an important element. Um, you started to walk into sort of that support and improvement point. And I think, you know, you, you we obviously touched on the design elements very important earlier. Um, so that you you have less scrap, less rework. You're able to get to market faster. You've got maybe maybe to help some of the regulatory hurdles because you're you're helping the OEM to clear those by by having a good product in place and and, right. and good results. 
But now you get into maybe some of the post-market um, that you just hinted on. And it made me want to ask, well, how does that also work um, from a post-market standpoint? So now the product's out being sold. It's out and, you know, you're extending to new markets. It's your volumes going up. You, you know, you guys can handle it because of your experience, these greater volumes. But that may also introduce, um, you know, adverse events or complaints or things that maybe somehow trickle back and, and, and as a good partnership, um, and working with your OEM, you're going to work together on these things. Um, so maybe you could walk into a little bit about how those changes or improvements start to take shape. Sure. And, and it's actually not as, it's not that even that clean line of here's design and development and then transfer and here's production. I'll call it gray in that gray shaded area because there should still be that push and pull um, between the two. Because a lot of those elements in sustained manufacturing that you do continuous improvement on, um, you know, they have actually, they're, they're rooted in the engineering uh, development piece. So uh, one example I can give is when you're looking at your, your, your key manufacturing processes, how you're monitoring, how you're doing the right level of trending and statistical analysis of the process is actually established in engineering. So you're, you're looking at, say, uh, critical processes that require validation what are now your process control limits so you can monitor them effectively in production. So it's not just go out there and make product. It's now then, do I have the right triggering mechanisms? Do I have the right thresholds in place? Do I have the right feeder systems that can help me lead or lead me to the actions I need to take versus a lot of the lagging indicators that are very uh, easy to, to hop on. Those lagging indicators I'm referring to are your NCRs, your complaints, your, your scars from the, the customer to the OEM, that's uh, after product has been built, has been manufactured, and there's some level of escape or nonconformity to, to the original design. Uh, a strong CMO is going to start building in feeder systems that allow you to detect those ahead of time, detect, uh, you know, have, have a system or software that allows you to, allows the engineers to provide the right level of oversight for their uh, their production staff so that we can prevent complaints, prevent NCRs. And you, you got to, you, you get, you essentially have to tackle it from both sides. So you're preventing on one side, mm -hmm. let's, let's face it. No production process is perfect from the start. Um, so you're always going to have to deal with NCRs and complaints and those level of escapes. Again, what's key about that, that OEM and CMO partnership is how is the CMO handling those complaints and NCRs. Now, yeah. that that's you know you can take it as a, a onesie twosie approach and, and review the complaint, put the bandaid on, fix it, and move, and move forward. The the more robust CMOs are going to have the built-in processes to to take that information. Yes, make the correction to disposition product and and hopefully move forward with that particular instance. But how are they feeding that back to engineering? How are they feeding that back to possibly systemic processes that ultimately are going to prevent it. And, and, you know, in favor to engineers, save yourself some work in the next month if it happens to occur again. How do, how do you build that into your, your culture and your environment and your processes to always continuously improve? And not, not shy away from them, not shy away from the scars that are inevitable, not shy away from the corrective actions that are inevitable. Use them as tools to provide information to the organization, provide information to the staff, so they know what to look out for. They know what to, you know, put continuous improvement projects around. And that's where 
you got to make sure that those root cause analysis, those investigations are, are robust so that we're pulling on the right th on the right threads. We're not chasing special causes. We're, we're, we're getting to the root of where, where that issue was. And that's where strong systems and softwares can help provide that information. Um, so, so you're not manually digging through uh, to, to really, you know, come up with something on the fly. It, it can be, you know, something that's at your fingertips to, to help make those decisions quicker. Um, I think, I think, yeah, that's, that probably gives you a good sense of, you know, where, how that, that web intertwines and making sure that the, uh, the CMO has, has those, those processes in place at, at the right level. Right, right. No, that, that you're touching on a couple of points. You know, one is, uh, you know, it, it's very common to have a, a closed loop quality focus, but it's really that closed loop enterprise quality that really starts to take shape. It's the bigger closed loop that extends to post-market, extends to your supply chain, and then getting that voice of the customer back and feed that back into, in right. this case, you know, if you're outsourcing it, but to your contract manufacturer, and then to your engineering group to to you know, make these improvements. It's a much bigger closed loop um, than than uh, it's just a much bigger closed loop, and you need those yeah. those tools to do that. Um, so that's uh, that's good that you're touching upon upon that. Um, I think the other thoughts I had were, you know, the the OEM has of course their quality systems, and you have your yeah. quality system. So making sure that 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 collaboration to touch on that word again, that there is yeah. a fluidity of of sharing those those complaints or non-conformances that do happen because, and then, then you have your own internal system too, that you have to manage your own processes and improvements right. that, that occur there. Um, I was going to touch on that a little bit later, but um, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit about some of, some of your own quality events and, and how you're operating those. So in terms of, you know, managing your own procedures, your own document control, and, uh, and how some of your quality events are managed from complaints to non-conformances and how you have the maturity to, to manage those for the OEM in some cases too. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, and, and that's, that's a good point. The, the collaboration that has to occur really is between the, the CMOs, QMS, and, and not just one, but could be 10 to 20 different OEMs is in incredibly important. Um, mm -hmm. The it actually presents it presents a very unique challenge for CMOs because not one just static quality management system is always going to work. Um, a lot of OEMs, especially the larger ones, have pretty established OEMs that have been there for 30 plus years. Um, startups may have even adapt uh, you know adopted some of those practices as well. Mm -hmm. Now, how do you the, again, back to the unique challenge that CMOs have is how do you come up with a robust quality management system that can standardize your approach so you have the level of expertise to share with potential customers in the future, but also remain adaptable and flexible to work with the 20-some-odd the customers that they may deal with at one time. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's where, you know, finding a CMO that has the ability to navigate the ISO standards, the, the regulations that are out there, um, and, and using the systems and softwares around them to do so can can really make or break, you know, what that partnership might look like. Because um, there's there's a lot of QMSs that can easily conflict with each other, and that's that's understanding that gap up front when they're having that business need conversation of this is how our QMS flows, this is how ours flows. We'll we'll pick on complaints, for example. 
is there that the, the right bridge for us to feed you the information we're receiving from the field on the OEM side to then understand the manufacturing impact and, and tie it to your complaint uh, system as well. And that's where, you know, that's where the communication, the system and software that's associated with that can play a big part. It can be very manual or there can be direct links uh, between an existing QMS system that we have versus what the OEM has um, so that so we're not creating manual operations between those as well. Um, again, it, it always ties back to that same level of where CMOs are intended to be an extension of, of the larger business. So using complaints and NCRs and navigating that appropriately is, is going to be key. Um, so what, when it comes to how you know we're, we're ultimately executing what I have envisioned as a, as a preferred way to handle such things as NCRs and complaints is you're always, it's kind of the 80-20 rule, can't boil the ocean. You have to look at the, the key aspects of your manufacturing process that are critical that ultimately impact the customer and product quality as well. Mm -hmm. um, so understanding, having, a, having an NCR process, having a complaint process is, is key to, to report those events. But what actually needs to be translated as a second layer to that is what is the level of trending and tracking that comes from that so that you're understanding ultimately what are what's going to be most impactful to say the, the say Tom's corporation versus the OEM. I may have you know 50 complaints, but of those 50 complaints, how are we dissecting that a bit further? So using a system to allow us to bucket those appropriately, parade those appropriately, track and trend over time can be very powerful information so that you're not chasing the onesie twosies, you're actually hitting the larger bucket uh, defect mode that the customer is ultimately seeing when, when they receive product. Then you, get, then you have, end up having more, um, more value added conversations. When you're, when you're looking at say 50 complaints, it can be overwhelming. So how do you approach that? CMOs are using that data to have those reviews with our, with our customers and say, based on the individual instances, I've extrapolated and I've tracked and trend, I've, I've been able to report appropriately what we're seeing so that we can start hitting, hitting those top drivers. You look at those top drivers and say an organization like Tom's could actually say, in addition to not only supporting the customer's continuous improvement efforts, for those top three scrap drivers, mm -hmm. how do we how do we capture those those modes appropriately? Because if we're we're in spine, we we granted we do very similar work for other spine organizations. So that that type of dashboarding or that type of charting might actually say this is a particular manufacturing process we need to you know assess. Could tell us that we're having possibly similar challenge similar challenges in uh, in other existing sustained manufacturing lines. But then back to you know a comment we made before about feeding it to engineering, using that that manufacturing data to feed it back to engineering. So when they're going through the development process, they can start looking at the the key challenges that are existing and on the floor today. So you really start tying all of those together, escalating from NCR and complaint to Kappa uh, for you know for higher visibility and for you know the right level of support for implementation. Um, if you start, you know, stepping it in that fashion, you end up using those types of tools, um, you know, to, to your advantage. You're, you're allowing the QMS to work for you, 
versus the other way around. And, um, you know, I, I think, you know, through experiences and through, you know, a number of OEMs that, that have partnered with in the past, mm -hmm. um, that's probably, you know, a combination of the leanest and, and, and most, most robust way to make sure we're getting the biggest bang for our buck. Yeah, that's a very uh, salient point about um, being able to aggregate or look at all, you know, like you said, sort of track and trend or measure all of these complaints, non-conformances, and they may have common trends and not only common trends where you can aggregate them together to then, you know, move them down to root cause, kappa and the engineering fix. But also that was a really interesting point about um, it may have commonalities across the other OEMs that you're working with, with common yeah common machines or common processes that, uh, you know, affect other products. That's a, a, I didn't really think about um, how that could have such a great, but that actually makes you a better company. It makes you a more unique play because now you're specializing, you're, you're really helping exactly. all the OEMs and you're bettering your own processes. So the, those right. are the things I thought about. When I think about it from like an OEM's perspective too, I, was, I had that in mind about where you know, they have their QMS system and they have their complaints and non-conformances pop up, they need to understand very quickly what is that impact, that global impact that's happening about what countries they're selling in, mm -hmm. about which products or components in that bill of materials, again, the bill of materials being critically important to understand which pieces or which parts um, are affected by that. And knowing that yeah. very quickly is really important from from the OEM side and knowing which suppliers are associated to those parts. Um, then they can come work with you to say, look, we're having a problem with, you know, these particular components. Um, I think that's uh, our family of components because you guys make a sure. lot of sizes and, and, right. and products. So just, I was just thinking about it from the OEM's perspective too, a very quick understanding before they get into this deep long CAPA process and having a system that has that visibility or that insight into all of these different elements from, you know, the places where the products use the countries it's sold and suppliers that supply it. Um, those are all, all very important things. And then of course it leads to the communication with the supplier, which you just talked about. So that, that was uh, just some thoughts that I had as I was writing some notes down. Yeah. Very good. So you talk about, um, you, you started to touch on a little bit more too about your QMS system. Um, is this something, you, you know, you talked about, I, th I think another thought is just the business processes you have are changing and expanding. So you need a very extensible platform, something that can sort of accommodate these changes in, in your particular business processes and accommodating you know, the needs of, of your OEM. So I think that extensibility is, is really important. Um, and you touched on that. But what about also like a common platform? Um, you know, what, what systems are you using that you need to put on a common platform and, and you know are you integrating to ERP or anything like that too so you know you're starting to talk about your vision and, and the where where you're taking Tom's um, we kind of got into a little more of a system discussion here which I think is yeah. okay at this point but right. what are what are some of the things you're thinking around common platform or integration points yeah I mean that's a lot of the what makes the world go around these days is data and, and data fast um, so where a lot of organizations and, and Tom's had, had similar challenges and we've acknowledged those as well is it's, it's very easy to identify ERP systems, PLM systems, possibly even custom applications and a number of series of different applications to try to combine and 
have talked to each other. And then when you when you get to get into the middle of it, you realize you've actually spent a lot of time around trying to get them to talk versus possibly investing in the right um, system or ERP system or PLM system mm -hmm. that can integrate off the bat. So there, you know, to, to really do it right, it's doing the right homework and understanding to facilitate your particular business model and the and the business processes that you're following. Does your ERP system primarily and your PLM system have a, have an ability to talk to one another, not just one way I, as well. It's, it's actually in a, in a two-way directional approach. So if I were to make a recommendation, it's, you know, the ERP side is primarily the transactional side where you have the PLM system handling the control side of it, but very important that they, they talk to each other so that, um, you know, that seamlessness of data, the, the data mining that can occur outside of those systems is, is mitigated. And when you start looking at the ERP side, again, very, very pretty straightforward, right? You have your bomb structure, your job order structure, your lot traceability within there. It's where you tie in your business processes, your quality pro, um, processes. That's, that's where, uh, you know, the, the right level of PL, PLM system should be there because you could be touching everything from complaints and NCRs like we just discussed tying those together with Kappa, being able to have a powerful tool to identify, hey, this is my part number, or this is my product family, like we were just saying, that could be hundreds of different sizes. Yeah. These are all of the issues and have that, that information at your fingertips of the associate complaints and Kappas and be able to do proper containment. That's, that's where a strong PLM system can start tying all that information together because of how it's configured from the start. And then, and again, that's, that's where you build off and go into change management. You look at product lifecycle management, you look at PDM, you look at um, possibly calibration and preventive maintenance, um, you know, pieces of the organization. As much as you can get, you know, those consolidated in ERP and your PLM system of, of your choosing, that's, that's where you're going to take a lot of headache out of the, out of the day to day. Yeah, um, because to, I wanted to touch on the point you made, it, you know, anytime there's a, some level of complaint that may be out in the field, um, you got to react quickly. You, in, in the first piece, the first thought that most organizations are going to go to is containment. Where, where are they out in the field? Yep. And how do I dissect that down to what could potentially be impacted in WIP? And OEMs have to really get a, a large grasp around that. It's a difficult task to do so because their whip is not only what they have in their house, it's also all of their critical suppliers. So back to the CMO perspective, how are we helping them from the other direction to, to minimize that, that time frame of risk? Because each day, each hour is yeah. some level of risk where product is moving. That's, you know, the, again, product is always moving. That's the, that's the world we're in. Um, so having those systems in place to have that quick ID and traceability, have that quick, uh, you know, reporting structure to identify the product families that are impacted. Um, that can all, again, all come from the right integration of your ERP and PLM system together. Yeah, that's perfect. Uh, a really perfect topic that's, uh, you know, several of our other, even the OEM customers, as we talked about understanding the impact really quickly, and it does also lend into, and you kind of dived into it, is when you have those non-conformances, what are the batches or lots that are affected? And you, you know, by knowing that right away and doing that containment right away and having those integration points or that visibility helps you to you know, stop ship. It helps you to correct. It helps you to minimize that 
what we call commonly like that incident to fix time. Right. Um, and, and doing so helps you and your OEMs with, you know, branding and reputation and not to mention just, you know, having much safer, more effective products at a, a much greater amount of time here. And so that's, yeah. that, that was some really good points that, that you were making on that. I um, think most, I think most med device industry, uh, um, manufacturers and, and, and OEMs out there would actually acknowledge Chuck that, uh, most of the med device industry is a bit antiquated and <laughs> a lot of paper-based systems. Yeah. So, um, when they, when you start talking about having the right systems in place, you know, a lot of, a lot of what you've seen is starting to see the right PLM selection and right ERP selection to handle that appropriately because that time is critical. But what happens when you're still in a paper-based system, you're still fingering through DHRs to, to, to find that information. Um, you can lose a lot of time without the right systems in place. So making sure that the, the investment's there to, to start modernizing, uh, modernizing QMS and modernizing um, what system CMOs have in place. Yeah, yeah, that's another very good point. Yeah, doing that containment or taking manual human paper systems and saying, okay, let's go put this stuff over here in the in the warehouse and take up a bunch of space and hold it until we can figure out how to fix it is much different than having this electronic, um, you know, rendition yeah. of knowing exactly and and reacting much quicker. So, exactly. you know, I, we've definitely heard many of our customers bring that point up of having a system that that can do that is is very important. Right. Um, so that was, we, we talked a lot about the complaints, the NCRs, the, the Kappas. I, it was interesting. You brought up calibration and maintenance is just another element to keep, you know, to keep your systems up and going, maybe audits, um, all mm -hmm. of these things, keep the engines running, keep things flowing. Absolutely. You guys are ISO 13485 certified, of course. So having the right QMS and PLM, you know, you alluded to it as PLM, but also QMS system together helps, you know, keep all of that, that engine going, right. And keeping right. you, uh, relevant absolutely, and, and timely. So that's good. Did, did you talk about training at all? Was training and doc control a part of that too, you know, managing your SOPs, keeping your training up to date. I don't know if that's a topic we want to dive into at all, but at least mention. Oh, de definitely. I might've, I might've missed it or I might've said quickly change management um, very quickly, but, um, that, that's absolutely one of the, the key elements as well. Um, because you're not, it's not just the product side, but how your business processes are set up, your procedures, your work instructions, your forms, your templates that ultimately drive your day-to-day -day operation um, comes back to proper change management and training. And that also gets built into your QMS system so that it's, it's integrated properly. And um, again, you can have that information at your fingertips to to, to run uh, even, even dashboards and metrics on your own, you know, internal customer uh, on how you're performing internally, because we could have all the best processes in the world, but to uh, have the right individuals that are qualified and skilled to perform those operations are just as key. And that's where proper change management and training can really drive that home. Um, and, and again, all within the same system, if that's, uh, you know, if that's feasible. Okay, very good. Um, I might uh, tap into any other ideas you have. You know, you talked about some of the visions of where you want to take Tom's and, and you know, you talked a little bit more mm -hmm. about maybe a little more concept commercialization and having a system that can support you all the way through to commercialization and, you know, not maybe getting beyond what you want to discuss about, you know, how much 
concept, you know, how, you know, early you want to take it or any things that you guys might be doing yourselves. Um, I have some, you know, some of our customers are, you know, both a design contract manufacturing and a medical device manufacturer all in the same, you know, where all in the same company, but maybe uh, just to extend maybe a little bit more of any other visions you have of where you want to take Tom's um, and, and let you kind of run with that. Yeah, sure. So um, currently at Tom's, we're actually, um, we, we come in at the DFM phase, so design for manufacturing phase and bring it to sustained manufacturing, um, where we feel that there could be a great opportunity to partner with our customers further is really what we touched upon earlier, getting as early into the design phase as possible. So right now, current exclusion from our, our QMS is design control. Um, however, that's you know something that I, I certainly have experience with and, and we have leadership staff that experience with design control. And that's that nice amendment to the existing engineering and, and manufacturing services we have now, I'd like to tack that on the beginning so that we can partner with uh, OEMs and, and startup OEMs even earlier on in the process and, and provide more value up front. Um, whereas right now, like I said, most of the design is frozen. So we can you know, provide that design experience, that mitigation of variability and risk earlier on. And I think that would um, you know, suit, suit Tom's vision for growth very well if we can uh, you know, expand kind of on that, in that front end. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, very very relevant points there. Um, okay, so I think yeah, when you talk about moving it up front, and I think when you the interesting thing about moving it earlier into the design process, right, and yeah. moving it up front value and getting into design controls, it requires. We talked a little bit about before, but that collaboration element starts to really come in heavy, and I think, you know, traditionally we're used to seeing OEMs looking for a collaboration with their suppliers and CMs and how do they do that? Um, mm -hmm. And how do they do that securely and safely, I think is another thing. But um, from your perspective of, of helping with the design elements up front, you wanna also be collaborating with those OEMs securely, even from your perspective. So, you know, you have a lot of different OEMs and customers and very, very, very proprietary data. So my point was just that collaboration element we're hearing is just becoming more and more important. and Having a, having a solution, a QMS solution and PLM solution that can, you know, separate that data securely, provide a portal mm -hmm. sort of strategy to give access to those OEMs for just the select products that you want to share and the select data that you want to share. These are really important elements and, and something Absolutely. that, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're a customer of ours because there's some great solutions there and I don't want to put the sales hat on there, but just sure, those, sure. those elements of, of sharing the data is all based on a very strong foundation of product and quality and processes. And, and that collaboration element is, is just, uh, is just showing so much value. And I just wanted to sort of chime that in a little bit towards the end here. Yeah. And I, I absolutely, you're absolutely correct there. Um, you know, being able to compartmentalize control and, and, house very again sensitive information like you're saying because we have design packages for all different customers sometimes they're competitors again that's in that's inevitable in the space we're in mm -hmm. um, so being able to adequately control their design packages the dmrs as well as the qms documentation and allowing the right level of access uh, so that customers can use portals to access their information as well um, becomes very key because that that's 
um, you know, you, you nailed it right on the, on the head. That's a very um, common challenge that CMOs have with OEMs is how do we provide them with the right level of information? Whereas most cases it's, you know, we, we've got it internally, but the customer is actually, you know, incapable or un unable to access their own information when they ultimately own the design. Yes. So having that right system in place that facilitates that back and forth, um, you know, and not just through email, um, mm -hmm. you know, plays a big factor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the legal manufacturer owns that product regardless. So they have right. to ensure they have access and clear communications and availability to, to those very processes. So that's, right. yeah, excellent. Thank, thanks Definitely. for supporting that, that thought there. So um, any other... Um, last thoughts or feedback or any other topics you know you'd like to just kind of throw out there randomly um before we get to you know starting to close this out yeah i think the the only other thing i'd add is you know we've been talking very much on that kind of one direct line of cmo to oem um where we where we didn't really touch on is a lot of cmos are and, and through acquisition are multi-site now and yeah, yeah. being able to be um kind of uniform across the organization. With, all, with acquisitions, the, the main challenge that you see is harmonization and integration. So if I've yeah. got three sites, is it really three, site, three different sites or is it one organization with you know, that, that layer of uniformity in their processes and their business practices? So where you start tying all of these pieces together, you look at the processes, you look at the, uh, the QMS system that's help, helping to facilitate that, does that system allow you to operate multi-site? And the, again, back to some of the unique challenges of CMOs, have you used the system and built your processes and, and built your, your QMS structure to, to allow that, that uniformity across the sites? Because we don't, as an OEM, you don't want to go to the three different sites and view the QMS differently. You don't want to get a different service from each site. Um, so that again, ties it kind of full circle back to what we were talking about of, you know, ERP, PLM, QMS selection. Um, the, the, more, the more you can centralize and start um, operating off of the same processes and systems, um, in, in my opinion, makes you, again, makes you a better partner for the OEM. Yeah, yeah, really strong point. Um, harmonizing processes, sharing them, you know, and, and companies that deal with larger assemblies and stuff, but part proliferation so that you're not, yeah. you're, you're leveraging that spend, you're leveraging and, and not having multiple, because you have, you know, you could have your suppliers too of, of materials right. and parts and not proliferating that. So yeah, being on that common system has so many values. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you talked about the integration point on that too. So yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. That's a, a critical of a QMS PLM system to have that too. Yeah. And, okay, great. Um, yeah. I guess I can start to close it out. Maybe any other, like any key takeaways or anything you kind of recommend? And we talked a lot about, you know, collaboration <laughs> and earlier in the design process. And I, I could go through my notes here, but any uh, any key takeaways or any, any other mentions? Um, I mean, I, I think we, we, we covered quite a bit of it. I mean, you yeah. got, you, we really covered, you know, again, the unique challenges that that relationship faces for both the CMO and the OEM perspective. And, um, you know, you really want to, as a CMO, you want to position yourself as the expert in the specialty in the engineering services and manufacturing services you provide. Mm -hmm. So 
again, being, being innovative, getting the right technology, getting the right systems and softwares in place can help facilitate that. And then just, again, positioning yourself so that um, you can be that partner, that extension, again, to that, to that OEM. Um, I think that's, that's honestly, again, in my opinion, is that probably the best way to market yourself. You're selling your processes, you're selling your, your QMS system as a part of your strategy uh, to partner with them. Um, you know, QMS systems is one of those things that you tend to talk about after you've talked about the product, um, but that should be, you know, right up, right up front, you know, top three, you're looking at not just the product, you're looking at the organization and how they operate and, uh, you know, quality management systems are truly business management systems. That's, it's how the company operates on the day to day. Um, so it should be, it should be on the forefront of, you know, both the OEM and the CMOs, you know, mine. Awesome. Awesome, Vincent. Well, I'm really excited to see you, you know, your vision continue to unfold at Tom's and see the success of Tom's. You guys are growing. You mentioned multi-site, but you guys are yeah. growing in size and, and sites and a number of products. So it's, it's amazing to watch and uh, very happy your customer. We look forward to working with you more and more. Um, and I'll go to the people that are listening um, that if you want to hear a little more from Vincent, um, in the future, and a little bit myself, uh, we do have a panel at the Biomed Device Conference in Boston in September 21st. So in, in that particular uh, panel, we're asked to talk a little bit about the pandemic recovery and how that's sort of driving increased M&A in medical devices, and notably across you know, these CMOs or CDMOs, and then how these med device manufacturers can work with CDMOs and CMOs, which is what we just talked a little bit about today. Right. So again, Vincent, um, amazing amount of information. Really appreciate your time and uh, look forward to seeing you in Boston. And uh, thanks for everyone listening. Absolutely. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe to be notified when a new episode is posted. And please feel free to share it with a colleague. If you have any questions you want answered during an upcoming episode, please send them to podcast at propelplm.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.